This episode is being recorded on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish people. Hey everyone, this is Gabriel. And I'm Ravin. And this is Therapy After Hours. Okay, welcome to this week's episode of Therapy After Hours. I guess what we'll be talking about and what's been on our mind a little bit is just the topic of therapist neutrality. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe I'll start by asking you, what does therapist neutrality mean to you? What comes to your mind when we say that? I think what comes to mind for me is the, this idea that as therapists, we need to be a blank slate, that we don't have any inclination in either politics or opinions about certain things mm-hmm. because we have to have this neutral stance mm-hmm. in front of our clients that we're not allowed or we're not supposed to either agree or disagree with their political views, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a pretty common one these days is political views or maybe some their views on health at every size. Mm -hmm. What what does neutrality mean to you? Yeah, I think kind of the same thing. I think about the fact that we're not, I mean, I'm doing air quotes, we're not supposed to mm-hmm. agree with clients, we're not supposed to share our own opinions or our own thoughts. Um, I think for me, self-disclosure falls into this too, of like, as a therapist, like I go in almost, I'm supposed to, quote unquote, go in almost as if I'm not a human, and I don't have any thoughts, feelings, or experiences. I'm just here to hold space for yours. Like, that's kind of what I hear about neutrality. And then what I think about is how invalidating therapist neutrality can be. Yes. Like, I think about clients who have experienced, you know, oppression or have been violated and experienced abuse and trauma that is unjust. And if I'm just being neutral, is that, isn't that kind of like minimizing their experience? Like my stance on it is I want to get angry for you. I want to get angry with you. Mm-hmm. I want to feel these things with you and hold space for them together as two humans, as opposed to you are feeling that over there. And I am just a wall absorbing it. <laughs> hundred percent. And not only unfair to us or, or invalidating it was what you said, but I, th- I think it's also unfair to our clients in a way because for me, part of this idea of neutrality sounds like I need to collude with my client or enable mm. my client. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of the work that we do, it, it most likely won't work in the long term for the client or in in benefit of a real psychotherapeutic meaningful work mm-hmm. when your therapist only enables you or colludes with you yeah like does without it challenging challenge yeah yes <laughs> challenging some of our beliefs as yeah. people or some of the things that we're thinking like oh i deserve this mm-hmm. but it's like how do we determine what this deserve deservedness is that a word that's okay. We can make up words here. Yeah, and I think like on the other end, like yes, it's not fair to the client and to the therapeutic work because I think the most healing part of therapy, and this is probably a theoretical orientation thing, but the most healing part is the relationship, right? That we have with them. Yes. <laughs> and relationships aren't one-sided. And so why have we been taught that a therapeutic relationship needs to be one-sided, right? And I, And then I also think about that's the ways in it, in which it doesn't serve the client, but also the ways in which it doesn't serve us. So if I'm sitting across the room from a white client and they're making racist remarks and I'm being hurt and feeling minimized and wondering what, how they see me as a woman of color as they're talking about students from coming from Asia and I'm a South Asian woman, how am I, like, am I not doing a disservice to the relationship and to myself to not name that in the room? And in a kind, compassionate, yeah. gentle way. Yeah, and it's not like we're going to, you know, be like, uh, get aggressive and defensive necessarily. Mm-hmm. That can happen because I think when, when we as therapists don't do our due diligence in our work mm-hmm. with our own therapists or with our peer supervision colleagues or anything like that, then we can get defensive and 
hopefully not aggressive, but mm-hmm. but we definitely can get defensive and not even realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. You know, your your example of maybe a client saying racist comments or things in 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 the room with you reminds me of a few clients that I've had where they make generalization about women mm-hmm. or you know misogynist comments and I'm and that would I would feel like an attack I mean mm-hmm. I'm a cis man but I would feel like I would think about my mom my friends mm-hmm. my colleagues that are women mm-hmm. and that have fought so hard to get to where they're at in their lives let alone in society, mm-hmm. in society's eyes, right? And then hearing people separate, you know, obviously multiple clients, different people and all that stuff, saying these things is like, this does not work for me. Mm-hmm. This is not okay. And I can feel it in my body that I'm getting upset and hurt. And I remember I had to seek consultation for this because mm-hmm. I was like, I want to bring this into the room, but I don't want to make it about me. Right. I want to bring this into the room because I think it's important that I don't hold this neutral stance of like positive, uh, unconditional positive regard when this person is talking so badly about women, for example. Mm-hmm. And I think that was very eye-opening for me because I was forbidding myself from being, from not being neutral, like from being open and honest with people in front of me, right. but still feeling like, like shit, basically. Yeah. And then going to consultation supervision for this was like giving myself permission to be like, oh, I am I'm a human being in this space mm-hmm. too, that has feelings and emotions in this space too, and that is allowed to bring this in. In a mm-hmm. way, obviously, that serves the relationship. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not gonna be like, oh, you're just a misogynistic asshole in front of me saying these things. Right. It's more so like, hey, like I'm noticing this feeling of hurt and anger. Mm-hmm. building in my body when you say things like this because mm-hmm. i'm thinking of my mom i i'm thinking of my friends of my colleagues that are women mm-hmm. and then and also thinking of like women in general not right. just the people that i know just yeah everyone right and then it's like oh and mm-hmm. that was really powerful for for some of the work that i was doing with the, the clients that i'm thinking about yeah yeah and i think that's the work right, is bringing these things into the room and having these hard conversations because it's like inevitably people who are seeking therapy oftentimes are having interpersonal challenges, having challenges navigating difficult conversations, communication, even like their own relationship to their emotions. And in therapy, we can practice these things, Mm -hmm. right? Like we can bring up a difficult conversation and say, you know, this is what I'm noticing, right? So if I had a cis het man sitting in front of me talking down about women and his main presenting problem was that he's having trouble in his romantic relationship me naming like hey as a woman when you when you're saying these things I'm feeling x y and z this is what's happening for me and I wonder how this shows up in your relationship right I wonder how this shows up in the interactions that you have with your partner if these are the beliefs that are happening for you about women and then having a conversation about that. I don't know if I articulated that in the best way. Yeah, I think possible. it makes sense. Yeah. And then you said something that I think I, I want to dig into. You mentioned yeah. unconditional positive regard. Oh, uh, yeah. And I think we got to dig into that one a little bit. Yeah. What well, are, how, how do you define unconditional positive regard, though? Oh, that's hard. I don't know how I define it. I think, okay, maybe I do. So the way that I would probably define it is seeing the best in people, mm-hmm. right? Like coming from a strengths-based perspective, doing your best to kind of hold a really compassionate lens mm-hmm. regardless of what's what you're being met with. Mm-hmm. What I think it gets misconstrued to mean is that you can never disagree with a client or you can never challenge a client or you can never hold the client accountable, right? It's kind of like Again, going back to that neutrality stance, I think it gets misconstrued to mean that I always have to think good things about my client. And that's, again, not human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was power of internet here. <laughs> I was just looking it up as well just to make sure that we have a good approach to it. And one of the things that i just reading here is that uh, unconditional positive regard means offering compassion to people even if they have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. 
And then obviously it's 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 more nuanced than that, you know, the right or wrong mm-hmm. dichotomy of the world, right? But it's it's being able to open up the space for the client's feelings, whatever they may be, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and still be able to challenge that experience mm-hmm. later on, probably, because mm-hmm. it's one thing at a time, right? We we open the table for the feelings empathize we validate we make sense of what's going on with them Mm -hmm. and then later on we're like okay so all of this is happening for you and you've experienced this and and then we can kind of challenge that as well and i think that's part of it Mm -hmm. but i but i agree with you you know a lot of i've heard a lot of people talking about unconditional positive regard as like Oh, if a client says a wall is green and it's actually yellow, that you have to say, yes, it's green Mm because the client said it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like the, I think of like the customer's always right, right? (laughs) Like where you have to. Yeah, it's like, nope, they're not. Well, and that's, it's just, again, I don't think that's a function of therapy. And I don't, and I agree with unconditional positive regard because I agree with holding any experience with compassion. Mm Mm-hmm. But compassion and responsibility for change and accountability don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I think that's a whole other topic of like why our society has such an aversion to compassion and self-compassion because they think that means, you know, we're going to be so easy on ourselves and we're just going to let ourselves get away with everything. But sometimes the more the most compassionate thing to do is to name that someone is doing something hurtful or, Mm -hmm. you know, is to to share our own feelings in the therapeutic space. Yeah, yeah. You had a question for me, though, that I interrupted on on unconditional positive regard. I just wanted to dig into it. Yeah, you bullied it back to me. The definition and stuff, yeah, yeah. But, like, what are your thoughts on it? What is your experience of unconditional positive regard? I do think a lot of people hold on to it so hard Mm -hmm. in a way that it's like, oh, I have to agree with my client. Mm. Also, you know, this is for, for the client's, talking to here is if people tell you the therapist tells you that I'm person-centered or Rogerian Mm -hmm. so this is Carl Rogers was one of the people that kind of brought forward this idea of unconditional positive regard and if I'm being honest I think all therapists should be person-centered well if you're not person-centered then what are you exactly (laughs) that's what I say yeah if that's not something that is in your practice then what kind of therapist are you? Mm-hmm. You know, are you putting your client first? Yeah, yeah. In in, in a certain capacity, right? And I, we're going to get a lot of shit from this probably, but... Yeah, that's why we're here. That's why we're <laughs> here. And we would love to have, if anyone has, and any other therapist especially, that has an argument towards this, that we can mm-hmm. have a chat, maybe even come on as a guest. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll figure it out. This is a, a space for all of these conversations so that people who are learning how counseling works as clients specifically mm-hmm. and, and don't have a lot of access to all of this information can have it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and can address it in a you know simple way or in a more nuanced conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious to know like for folks listening, because I mean, there is, there is another side of the coin. Like we're very clearly for therapist humanness and not mm-hmm. for therapist neutrality. But I wonder from the experience of folks who have sought therapy, I can see that there might be benefits in some instances. Mm-hmm. And even in my own work, I might be more neutral with some clients than I am with others, depending mm-hmm. on if it's going to benefit them mm-hmm. and their therapeutic process. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I can kind of get the gauge of which clients, you know, are going to benefit from the self-disclosure or which ones are going to benefit from me sharing and a feeling with them and which ones just kind of, you know, are, are kind of in a place of just needing a sounding board and maybe not really wanting a therapist who is bringing more of their humanness into the room. And that's an interesting thing to think about because mm-hmm. I think, uh, and, and I think that's, something that we all do even unconsciously as therapists because we don't we cater our work and how we present ourselves or how we bring ourselves to a certain degree depending on the client in front of us mm-hmm. you know the essence of us is there mm-hmm. to, with everyone mm-hmm. but the approach is different yeah you know with some clients we're more direct with other clients we're a little bit more like either indirect or more like 
passive in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it depends. I kind of see it as like my therapist self has all of these different parts. And in each session or with each client, I'm bringing, I'm not necessarily bringing in all of those parts. I'm bringing in pieces of those parts. And some are, some mm-hmm. parts are more neutral and some parts are more opinionated. Like I even think about when it comes to the topic of self-disclosure and not being neutral, right? Like bringing in my own experiences, my own feelings, maybe sharing stories of things that have, that I've gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I noticed that there's really a specific type of client I might do that more with, mm. right? I mean, granted, I work a lot with like South Asian women, but I find that like, for example, with younger clients, younger South Asian women clients, I might share that because I, it adds to the common humanity piece yeah. of like, you're not mm-hmm. alone. You're not the only mm-hmm. one that's been through this. I'm not just a professional sitting here telling you what's best for you. I have lived experience. And you know, one of the biggest ways that we learn is role modeling. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's depending on the client in front of us, we, we bring different parts of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, thinking of my experience as well as like self-disclosure that you mentioned, right? One thing I say to all of my clients, or most of my clients at least, that I can think of, is that I have my own therapist. Mm -hmm. And that I see my therapist sometimes every week, sometimes every two weeks, sometimes once a month, sometimes every three months. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I take a break. And that's part of this journey as well, because it also gives them permission to know that that this work is not supposed to be, or it doesn't need to be, Mm -hmm. every week or every two weeks. Like it's it can change depending on where they're at in their lives and in their journeys. Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty, pretty valuable for people to learn that. And also that a lot of, I don't know if this is something that some of your clients have told you, but some clients have told me like that they think my life is like perfect. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh honey, you have no idea. (laughs) I was like, Nope, it is not perfect. And yeah. no one's life is perfect. We all have our own stuff. And and then in those moments, I'm like, you know, I struggle with this and this. Mm-hmm. And I see my therapist. And, and, you know, and it depends on what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Also, because I work a lot with queer men or, or gay men, I bring a lot of my own experience through yep. in my journey of coming out or, or kind of accepting my, my sexuality and my sexual orientation. So yeah, so that's part of it is, is, is allowing our clients to know that we're also human and yeah. that we're in this journey in a way with them. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think, I guess like the piece that I would add as we talk about this, what comes to mind is like, for folks that are listening that aren't therapists, that are in therapy, you also have a right to tell your therapist what works for them. sorry, what works for you in regards to neutrality and self-disclosure, right? Like if you're someone that is more curious about your therapist and wants to know these things and wants that more human part of them in the room, you're allowed to vocalize that, right? So I have clients tell me, I know which ones to self-disclose with because when I do it, they'll be like, I thank you so much for sharing that with me, right? And whereas some, when you self-disclose, they might just kind of gloss over it where I'm like, okay, maybe that wasn't as useful, to you, but I think you have a right to overtly name that. Yes. You have a right to come into a session and say, I don't want to be challenged today. I just want to be listened to. Yeah. Right? Like you can ask for what you need in those therapy sessions and each week or each session, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be different. Some days I go into therapy and I'm like, I don't want you to tell me that I'm being unreasonable. I just want to be angry today. <laughs> I just want you to listen to how angry I am at this. Yeah. And that's a part of it, mm-hmm. is, is meeting people where they're at. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that altogether in, in that moment goes against neutrality. Because mm-hmm. if we're meeting people where they're at in, in a certain way, we're also bringing into consideration where we're at. Mm-hmm. And that can take away from that mm-hmm. idea of neutrality. And, and this might be, feel like we're going a little bit backwards to the beginning of the, of the episode, but... I think another place where this idea of neutrality might come from is the psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. right? And how it 
psychotherapy or counseling has been presented in movies and TV shows where, mm-hmm. the, you know, the therapist sits behind you, you're lying down on a couch, there's a single lamp on in the room, mm-hmm. and then you're not even looking at the therapist. Mm-hmm. They're behind you, so you're, and you're just talking. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea about anything from this therapist. Yeah, their facial expressions, their body language. Yeah, they're just usually either taking notes or just listening and asking questions. Yeah. And I think that also ties into the piece around how I'm saying like you have a right to ask for what you need. I think often because we've been brought up and taught in this framework of like the therapist is the professional and you go in and they know what to do, then client and I and I have this conversation with clients often where they're kind of come in and they'll be like, I don't know, like, tell me what I need. And it's like, this isn't how that works. Right. Like we, we do this together. I'm not an expert in you. I have some knowledge and some training and we're figuring it out together, right? And so I don't think enough people know that you are allowed to tailor your sessions to what you want them to be. And if your therapist isn't willing to do that, they're probably not the right Right therapist. for you, yeah. And I think obviously it's important that what you're wanting and needing is also part of what the therapist is able to offer you. Mm -hmm. Because if they're not, sometimes it's not that they're not willing, it's sometimes that they don't know how Mm -hmm. or they don't know that specific approach. And this is more maybe theoretical than than anything else. But like when clients tell me like, oh, I want CBT, Mm -hmm. like I I don't do CBT. I I incorporate Mm -hmm. a little bit of it here and there. Yeah. But very rarely, like CBT is not my go-to. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I can refer you to someone, but this is how I work. Yeah. And and that's the thing. It's like differently from the theoretical piece versus the humanness piece in yeah. the session. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think like when I they can ask for what they need, I also like you. It's like within reason right is what I think so I think about like working with eating disorders and particularly you know lately I've been seeing more folks with like binge eating disorder and so they'll come in and they want the focus of therapy to be basically how they can buy into diet culture and lose weight right and maybe that is what they're needing and that's what they that's where they're at in their journey but I will be very transparent in that I am not a weight loss service I don't subscribe to diet culture I can support you in the feelings and around understanding the eating disorder behaviors but I will never support you restricting your intake or what have you and if that's not what you're ready for at this time then I'm probably not the right therapist for you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so and I think that's 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 one of the biggest things in 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 this journey of not only being a therapist but also as a client and kind of or clients reaching out to us as therapists is like I don't okay, I'll speak to myself as a client. I don't want my therapist to just say yes to me. Mm-hmm. And and to be like I agree with you mm-hmm. and to be like yeah, you deserve everything. Mm-hmm. You deserve more all the time. Mm-hmm. And not hold me accountable when I can't mm-hmm. of like how my behavior and my character as a person mm-hmm. is affecting or impacting the people around me. Mm-hmm. And this is something that my therapist asked me in my mm-hmm. last session. In our last session, we were talking about all of these things in relationships and stuff. And she was like, you know, after we've been talking about this for a few sessions, but I, and I also want to bring something into the room. It's like, have you ever asked yourself how your behavior, your way of being, mm-hmm. your character as a person can impact or affect other people, mm-hmm. especially the, the people closest to you? Mm-hmm. And that's like a neutral therapist might, and maybe yeah. our image of a neutral therapist is wrong, but maybe. in my mind... A neutral therapist will not challenge you in that way. Right. Yeah, that makes me think of in EFFT, there's like an exercise that I learned in a supervision once. What is EFFT? Oh, emotion-focused family therapy. So um, I think it was in a, in a workshop with Adele LaFrance. Shout out to Adele. She's awesome. But she did this exercise. So EFFT works a lot with um, parenting and caregiving. And so oftentimes we find ourselves working with like co-parents, 
Mm-hmm. Right. So not necessarily in relationship or even still in relationship, but really different caregiving styles. And you get kind of that narrative of they're doing this and they're not doing that and da 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 and I'm doing whatever. And so there's this exercise that when she first introduced it to me was really uncomfortable because it's really challenging to the client. But it's like where you have to write down everything that your co-parent does that bothers you and you make an exhaustive list of all of these things. And then you ask the client to reflect what on what are you doing to contribute to these mm. behaviors in your co-parent, yeah. right? And I think that's, you know, if we run the risk of neutrality and like a blank slate, we might veer more towards like, how can you communicate differently to your partner? Like, you know, and colluding with being angry with them about how their partner isn't showing up, which are which can be important parts of the process, but it's also like, what are you doing? Because this is a dynamic, right? And we have to look at this, this together. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's pretty good. That's yeah. Pretty good. A, I don't, I've never done it with a client yet, I'll be honest. Mm. But I've done aspects of it, like maybe like one thing, but never like the exhaustive list because that feels heavy. Yeah. And I think not all clients might be ready for that kind of challenge. Mm-hmm. So it has to be someone that you've built a really good relationship and that they're open to. Yeah. When did I have a question for you? When did the when did you start noticing the difference or the issues around therapists who believe that they we need to be neutral mm. versus therapists that believe like us, right? That mm-hmm. there's no neutrality in the room. Mm-hmm. I have okay. I've got a good one for this. I can actually pinpoint it exactly. So in my first term in grad school, when we did so. Um, we do a course where we have to videotape mock counseling sessions with one of our peers. And I had a instructor who, you know, was more on the neutrality psychoanalytic, like there's one way of doing this kind of vibe. And so when they watched my video, I got this feedback that I wasn't doing things the way that they were doing because part of my approach to therapy was really just being myself. Um, and I have a more casual style. I bring humor in. I'm not as serious all the time. And so I got negative feedback that that wasn't okay and that I should be doing things in a particular way that really didn't align with who I was. Don't feel natural to me. Don't feel good to me. And I feel like if I sat in a room with a client and did that, I'd come off as really fake. Mm-hmm. And so I started questioning myself. I was like, should I even be a therapist? Because this is not a, this is not something that I can do. Mm. This is not something that I'm willing to do. This is not the work that I enjoy doing. And then it shifted because I had another instructor in another class. And he said, I think it was in our first class. He said, take everything that anyone has ever told you about being a therapist and throw it out the window. Oh, I love that. He was like, all you need to do is show up as yourself and be yourself. And he was kind of my first example of like, he was kind of quirky and like brought himself into the room and did a lot of like maybe things that instructors quote unquote wouldn't normally do or therapists wouldn't normally do. And so then that really started to build that different mindset of mine where it was like, okay, it's okay not to be that way. It's okay not to be the cookie cutter, neutral, Mm non-human therapist. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. I don't. I I remember that story you've told me before, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately, I didn't take class with that second professor. <laughs> yeah. But some some I had some professors that were similar to him, so I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I noticed that so much between therapism itself, not in the school setting, was last year when George Floyd was murdered, and the Black Lives Matter movement started kind of being more vocal and more in the front lines and we were seeing all of this work that was being done and activism and I was I'm still part of this Facebook group Facebook groups for therapists I think Facebook groups for anybody there's always something in a Facebook group and a lot of this was coming up you know racism and how to hold space for our clients of color, black clients, and everything that was going on because this was a modern day lynching almost. Mm -hmm. You know, a police murdered a a black man on the street for no reason. Mm -hmm. And I saw so many comments and posts on, oh, that's political. That doesn't need to be in the room. That's 
We're not supposed to bring our political mm. views into the room. We're not supposed to be... What was the word that I... There was always a word. I can't remember, but... It was that, that kind of message. It's like, oh, I don't bring that into my sessions. It's not, mm. it's not ethical. That was it. Everything oh. was around ethical and not, and not ethical. I tend to... For, I want to remember that some people just don't read their ethical codes <laughs> properly or assimilate them. But it's like when, and it's like, how does being true and authentic to yourself and bringing that person into the room to work with your clients unethical? Mm-hmm. And that just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have such a reaction to that. Like just the idea that neutrality is ethical because I see it on the flip side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because right? you're being fake. Yeah. Or- you or can not, be being not, fake. We, not <laughs> fake, but but like you're not being you're not honoring yourself. So you're not yeah. part of our work too is modeling for our clients. If we don't model authenticity, mm-hmm. then what are we modeling? Yeah, it's like oh, hide these parts away from the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because neutrality, like not bringing that stuff in the room. Neutrality is like having the stance of like oh well, I don't see color or I don't see yeah. ra- race or I don't see gender. And it's like, but that, it, to, that to me doesn't feel ethical because mm-hmm. how do I not acknowledge mm. that your experience of the world is shaped by your identities? I can't not see your color because if I don't, then I'm not seeing a part of you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that shapes the way that you move through the world, that shaped the way that you experience things, right? Like I, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that word unethical just gets me fired up. Oh, yeah. People will use that as like anything. It's like, oh, I arrived two minutes late into my session. Oh, that's unethical. Like, or that's honestly, human. It's, uh, I've heard this so much and it's like people throw this word around so much. It's like, no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So that's kind of been a part of, of my journey with neutrality and and now, um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, I also teach in a master's level counseling program. And I tell this to my students, it's like, if you're not able to show up as yourself, then there's work to be done. Mm-hmm. Either in your training, as a client, like find a therapist if you mm-hmm. don't have one. But there's work to be done. Because how can we expect as therapists, to be fully engaged, fully present, fully understanding of our clients' experiences Mm -hmm. if we don't understand ourselves or bring ourselves into the room as well. And how can we expect them to bring all the parts of themselves into the room? Yeah. Right? When we're... So that kind of leads me to think about like how actually bringing our humanness into the room adds safety. Right. It's like if you think about the people in your life that you trust, it's people who have been usually when people have been vulnerable with us or shown their real self to us, we feel comfortable enough to do the same. And that doesn't mean, you know, your therapist should be bringing in all their all their personal stuff. but They're bringing in like their personality, their feelings, their opinions. Right. Like the most powerful things that I've seen is like having a therapist cry with me. Mm-hmm. When I'm upset, mm-hmm. right? Like that's something that's against quote unquote neutrality, right? Where it's like, well, don't make it about you. And it's like, but it's not about making it about me. It's about saying like, I feel for you so deeply and I care for you so deeply that I'm sharing this feeling with you. That's going to lead to a safer atmosphere. Yeah, I think so. I agree. I think so too. It's, it's so important to do that. And I'm wondering, you know, as a client... Let's say if our therapists were neutral, like, how would I feel? Mm-hmm. How would you feel? Would that be someone that I would go for a long period? Like, would mm-hmm. I, what would be the benefit in that experience for me? Um, yeah. I don't know. I have that experience. My first mm. counselor when I was in high school or like late, early college, I went to a therapist who, you know, had a, theoretical orientation that was very like very much about just focusing on my thoughts and feelings and and workshopping them but 
she didn't come across as human to me. Like she came like across a robot. Maybe more like a doctor. Okay. Even though I believe that doctors can be empathetic and yeah. compassionate too, but like it felt more like a doctor patient relationship mm. than it felt like a therapeutic relationship. Granted, it was my first experience of therapy. Okay. So I didn't really understand that. And the moment that it shifted for me was actually with my high school counselor. He was the first person that I saw being human because I remember I was being like a super, I would use this word to describe myself back then. I was being a really resistant client. Like I wasn't, (laughs) I was like going into his office, refusing to talk to him, crossing my arms, being like a melodramatic teen. And he got mad and he straight, and he named that with me. And he was like, you know what? He was like, I, this doesn't feel good to me and it's not okay for you to, to treat me this way and talk to me this way. He was like, so you don't have to be here. And if you change your mind, then I'm here. And lo and behold, I opened up to the dude after because he actually was human. Whereas this other therapist, I think I saw like a couple of times and I was like, this doesn't feel good. I don't like this. This feels like school. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I love that he did that. Yeah. Yeah. He's a cool dude. I mean, sorry for him for because he was feeling, you know. Yeah. But I love that he did that. And, you know, look at where you're at now in your journey. Yeah. 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 I I think the one time I can think of is I went to see a therapist when I moved here to Vancouver. And I saw her once. And I ran from that place because (laughs) she was full on, full on CBT. This is not a hate account for CBT. No. But just this describing this therapist. And she just went into this, you know, outline of things to do and think about and process. And it was like, this is not what I. Mm -hmm. And she looked like she felt like a robot to me. Yeah. It's like I said, maybe like I said specific words and she's like, oh, this is what I'm, I'm supposed to say now. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm supposed to do now. And that was like, and I'm not saying this is CBT. I'm just saying this is her. Yeah. The, the way that she practiced the modality. Yeah. And I think that can be, yeah, like that's what I think of when I think of like a really neutral therapist. And I've even, you know, I've had family members see psychologists who charge exponentially more than what we charge. And they're entirely like workbook or worksheet based. And it's like, I'm going to be completely neutral. I'm not going to validate and sit in your feelings and be in your feelings with you. But I'm going to give you all this homework. I'm like someone that's really depressed. Like, you know, like when I've been depressed, I don't have motivation to brush my teeth, let alone do a worksheet that some therapist gave me. I just need someone to sit in a room with me and hold my pain with me. Right. Without judgment. Yeah, and sometimes maybe even give me hope by self-disclosing, right? I, I, I sometimes do that with clients of like, hey, I'm a person who lives with depression, lives with anxiety, and I, find, and I do pretty okay. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I actually had one client that was like, I've never had a therapist say that to me. Yeah. And that's what she needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember one client, I mean, that they told me that they felt like they wanted to cry and that it was coming up. But they felt uncomfortable with me because they didn't know me well enough. Mm-hmm. It was early on, obviously, but they were like, I want to cry, mm-hmm. but I don't know you well enough to cry in front of you. Mm-hmm. And we stopped the session in that moment. And I was like, okay, what do you want to know? Mm-hmm. I love that. What do you want to know? And let's talk about that mm-hmm. for a few minutes. And like we had like, I think it was towards the end of the session. So we didn't have that much time anyways. But, and I remember the question was like, why did I decide to switch careers and change from being a doctor of medical field into the counseling field mm-hmm. which is all, to me is all healthcare so mm-hmm. as simple as that yeah and we talked about it for like five or ten minutes and lo and behold and you know what i think when you say that like when we're talking about what our idea of a neutral therapist is is like my understanding is that as a neutral therapist i wouldn't have answered those questions mm-hmm. i wouldn't invited those questions i would have made it about the client again because that's what we're yeah. trained to do right like, like oh why do you want to know about yeah what's that? happening what's, for you what's important you... about it for you it's yeah like... and then and then making it about like maybe oh let's explore that you have like trust issues or that whatever where it's like no it's just human to want to know somebody before you yeah. feel safe with them yeah yeah and 
I think before that, I think after that session, this was a few years ago. After that session, in my spiel at the end of my first, like a, the intake session. So this is what I do in my first session. First, we go over confidentiality and what that means. Then we go on to the client and be like, okay, what's going, who are you? What's going on for you? What's happening? What's helpful? What doesn't help? That kind of, what brings you in, mm -hmm. basically. And then the last five to 10 minutes, I tell them about myself. Mm -hmm. I tell them about my training, my experience, uh, my work and my approach, like what the next few sessions are going to look like. And some of the, maybe a little bit of what to expect mm -hmm. working with me. Mm -hmm. And at this point, we've already done a 15 minute phone consult beforehand right. anyways, but it's like, this is more detailed. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, I tell them that, and now a little bit more of my personal life. Mm -hmm. I'm a married gay man. I have two dogs. I, I'm the youngest of three of three brothers. Mm -hmm. um, my brothers live in Vancouver as well, but the rest of my family lives back home. Mm -hmm. I teach, I volunteer, I do this. Things like that. Very simple, mm -hmm. very like nothing out of this world. Mm -hmm. I love that. And then it's like, oh, you, this human in front of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just the, like you... Half the time their eyes light up when I mention dogs. So it's like, you can't be neutral and still be, maybe you can, but show up as uh, this human being in front of your client who is imperfect, mm -hmm. who is emotional, and who is part of this relationship. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, healing is relational. If this relationship doesn't work, the 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 healing the, the journey the work you know all these words that we can see mm -hmm. on social media the process the process can get stunted mm -hmm. yeah because more more often than not our wounds are relational mm -hmm. so then the healing needs to be relational shout out to my therapist for that quote because she said that to me once and it's always stuck with me right like mm -hmm. when the wounds are relational the healing needs to be relational and being ourselves as therapists and I or I believe being ourselves and not being neutral allows for a deeper connection I'm pretty honest about it in my um consults too of hey this is the way that I work and you know I'm really co collaborative I'm really transparent um I don't practice as like the expert sitting in front of you I practice as you know both of us working together on this because I want people to know right when they agree, it's informed consent, right? Like when they're agreeing to work with me, yeah. if this is not what you're looking for, mm -hmm. then I won't be the right fit for you because I can't leave. Like I get, like I said, I can leave some parts of myself out, but some parts I just can't. Right. Like I'm me. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. It's understanding that as therapists, we're, we're not just bringing our therapist side. Mm -hmm. We're bringing the whole human being that we are mm -hmm. that has some knowledge in therapy that has some knowledge in psychology mm -hmm. and in emotions and in, in, in relationships and all that stuff mm -hmm. and at the same time it's like we have our own experiences and something that we didn't really touch on and maybe we'll have to do a whole episode on this but it has me thinking about it now with neutrality is also the idea of like loving your clients or hugs in therapy oh yeah right? that's, a, like that's a whole lot that's, that's a, a whole, whole episode. other episode but but give it give us a a, a preface of what you're i just of, think you're about going with that. like neutrality looks like we don't hug our clients we don't have love for them you know we don't respond to that kind of affection and i just think like if i've been working with someone for a year two years and i know the most intimate parts of themselves and feels appropriate or sometimes I've had clients tell me like I love you and I if I respond to that from like a neutral place that can be really shaming mm -hmm. and can actually be really damaging to the relationship and I don't know if I've ever said like I love you too but I've all I've said like oh thank you or like or just kind of like you know given a non-verbal validation of that I'm not going to shut someone down and like same with hugs I'm like if someone like you form a really deep connection yeah We've all been in situations where we're feeling really connected to someone and we're sharing a really emotional experience and we want to give them a hug. I, wouldn't, I don't initiate them. But if a client's wanting a hug and it's not 
a cross of my boundaries. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think that it go, it, it ties into what we've been talking about, about like being the healing, being relational. Yeah. And I think part of that is physical touch mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned hugs and stuff. That was beautiful. The, I love you piece and, and the hugs. And I think that's something that has shifted a lot for me mm. before COVID. I would always give out either my hand as a hello or as a goodbye mm-hmm. for, for most clients. Some clients would, would want to hug and I would hug them. With COVID, mm-hmm. I'm missing that. Mm-hmm. There's no handshaking. There's no hugs yeah. or, or anything like that. It's just this far away acknowledgement of like, hi, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that for me is very, very hard. I come from a country and a culture that it's like kiss on the cheek every time you see someone. Yeah. And hug and your friends, your family. Like mm-hmm. I grew up kissing. I still do, obviously, kiss my dad and my mom on the cheek whenever I see them. Mm-hmm. Like if if I go visit, like, oh, hi, kiss on the cheek, hug or whatever. I do it with my brothers as well and my sister-in-laws. And I know that I've, for a lot of my friends here in Canada, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, I do that as well. And at first it was kind of awkward for them. It's like, no, 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 give me a hug. I, mm-hmm. I need a hug. I need a kiss. Mm-hmm. And I remember with my therapist in Dominican, I want to say we did the handshake at first and then we did the hug. Mm-hmm. Usually at the end, like, oh, bye, whatever. And I, I've done the hug here with yeah. my clients too. Yeah. Especially when they ask or they, they mention it and it's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. like I'm open to that. It's like, I yeah. love that part. And now with COVID, I feel like there's almost a barrier between me and my clients. Yeah. And I get, I really feel that cause I only do <clears throat> virtual therapy. Yeah. So it's like even not being able to give a client a handshake on a first session when we're meeting each other or, um, you know, sometimes give them a hug and I'll, I'll usually name it in a virtual session of like, Oh, if we were in person right now, like I would love to give you a hug or, you know, I, I feel like, so mm-hmm. like, I feel so touched by that. I wish I could give you a hug or I have had clients like blow me kisses over, you know, like in a, okay, bye. Like, thank you so much. Yeah, right? And yeah, it's like, yeah, I do. Yeah. And I do think like, again, if we just stuck to neutrality, we'd be shutting that piece down at the same time. You know, it can be an opportunity to learn and teach about boundaries depending on the person. So when I was in person, um, like when I finished my internship and we had to terminate with all of our clients, I asked them for permission, right? Like, would it be okay if I gave you a hug or are you comfortable with a hug and giving them permission to say no? And I think, I don't know if I've ever hugged my therapist, but I would Did anyone say no? No, actually, nobody said no, okay. which was interesting. Some, yeah. but, and but actually, some were like really surprised, like in a good way. Mm, like they mm-hmm. were like, oh, okay. Like I actually had one say like, oh, I didn't know if we were allowed to do that. But like I wanted to give you a hug. And so like I think as therapists, it's on us to normalize that and make that okay. And then I also think like as a client, like I was saying, I don't know if I've ever hugged my therapist. But I think if I ever wanted to, I would ask. Mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and just say is it okay if i give you a hug like yeah. is that weird or, yeah oh i love that yeah i'm glad nobody said no to you i know well i mean i'm so <laughs> huggable right no, I'm just yeah yeah honestly we deviated a little bit from mm-hmm. neutrality but i think that's part of it too because mm-hmm. the neutrality i think comes from this place of not bringing all of ourselves into the room mm. and for me, bringing myself into the room is also being able to offer a hug or be like hug my client yeah. goodbye or whatever. I've had clients cry on my shoulders. And I remember in school being like, oh, you don't touch your clients or mm-hmm. your clients don't touch you. Was like, yeah. Now that we're talking about it, my first job as a counselor, and this was like pre, like this was bachelor's level counseling that I did because in BC we're not regulated again a whole other episode but Mm. I worked in a treatment center and we were told we weren't allowed to touch the clients and we actually had a training one day with the executive director where she basically showed us with her body language how she would feel the hug and how we're expected to do it so that if a client comes in for a hug we should be turning our bodies Oh, sideways kind of thing. Yeah, to like signal like I don't want to hug. And that I think that comes from that neutrality place, right? Of like I'm the professional. I'm the like healthcare provider here. I'm not a human. 
don't touch me. Like that's kind of what it comes across to as me. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to be boundaried. Like I think if you're not yeah, if you're not hugging, comfortable and you don't like it, that's totally fine. But how hurt would I be if I built an co- emotional connection with somebody and I went in for a hug and they just turned? I would prefer them to say. I really appreciate you wanting to hug me. I'm not comfortable with hugs. That's just me. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Very different. Very yeah. different. Like just turn your body to the side. I can't believe that was actually part of my training, right? Like that goes to show how ingrained it is in our field, mm-hmm. in the kind of professionalism. Quote yeah. Unquote, and I think, I, I definitely think it's changing with the generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember I have probably multiple stories of, clients wanting to hug me but they don't know they can mm-hmm. or how to approach it and they don't mention it and I see it at the end of the session when they're like leaving the room and you see that kind of pause mm-hmm. go pause again go mm-hmm. to, to, to leave I'm like okay I'll see you next time and then what I'll do is the next session I'll bring it up it's like mm-hmm. hey I noticed this when you were leaving What's do you want to talk about what was going on yeah. what was coming up and it half the time or more than half the time it's like oh i wanted to give you a hug but i didn't didn't know if that was possible or if i was allowed i was like oh yeah i love hugs mm-hmm. that's my response yeah to go or to come in or if you're crying and you want like me to sit next to you i don't mind that yeah yeah i think that's beautiful and i and i also think like thinking about you know what populations you come from, right? I think culture is a really big thing with physical touch. You know, are my clients kids and teens, right? Like, I'm not going to deny a child a hug if, like, we're doing reparative attachment work mm-hmm. and my nine-year-old client wants to hug me. Like, I'm not going to be like, sorry, I'm professional. Please, Like, that could be more damaging. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of this. One of the things that brought us together for this podcast was, like, bridging that power differential too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. between us and clients and bridging that that we're different people we're not we're yeah. pe- i mean we are different people but i don't know what i'm trying to say here but it's we're at the same level yeah we're both humans we're both humans we have different knowledge of different things mm-hmm. and i'm here to support you in what i know about yeah and help you navigate your experiences mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that we're not yeah. At the same level. Yeah. Okay. Anything else to close? I think that was a big conversation on a lot of different things. I think we'd be curious to hear if anyone listening has any thoughts. Um, you know, we kind of got into a few little like subtopics on neutrality. So if there's things folks want to chat more about or hear more about, we'd love to know. All but right. those are our thoughts on therapist neutrality. Yeah. This was Therapy After Hours, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode. We would love to hear your thoughts, feedback, or episode ideas. You can find us on Instagram at therapy.afterhours or email us at therapyah.podcast.gmail.com. Just a reminder that although we are therapists, we are not your therapist. And this podcast is not a substitute for therapy or other mental health services. In the event that one of us is your therapist, we invite you to bring any responses to our episodes into your sessions. Bye Bye for for now. now.